0: The readers, as you know, are out uh, getting away down there in Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area, enjoying themselves there with um, Mike's brothers, his two brothers, so there's three brothers there and three little brothers uh, going, so I'm sure they'll have a crazy time, But uh, but anyway, I'm going to... kind of jump off a little bit about what Mike's been teaching through Hebrews, although there'll be some connections, and actually some connections uh, with the morning message as well. But what I wanted to do is teach a little bit about covenants. Covenants. Now, who who would like to give a description of what they think what a covenant is? No bad answers here, folks. Don't worry. You're not graded. Yes? Uh, I I think of a promise. A promise, yeah, with a uh, kind of almost like a pact or a deal. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Anybody else want to add to it? commitment, so I mean, covenant. I think covenant of marriage. Mm -hmm. You're making a promise to your spouse. Okay. Good, good, yes. Like a long-term thing. Think of it as a long-term? Yeah, it typically, typically is. Um, okay, anybody else? All right. So I think that's a pretty good, pretty good thought. Now, what are biblical covenants? If I said, okay, let's talk about biblical covenants. How would you maybe define them a little more? It's really like they had a covenant like, that they would do certain things or not do certain things. Okay, yeah. Maybe I should ask this a little a little differently. What are the typical covenants that you see? Who are the two representatives in the covenants that you see in the Bible? Abraham and David. Both. it's God between, between God and man. Between God and man. Yeah, very good. All right. So I hope not to get you lost, to get too deep into things. But I think there's a few things we can understand uh, about covenants. We have, and these are, and forgive my spelling if I spell anything wrong, theological covenants. Okay, and that's it's given to a name uh, for theologians who have come up with what's three basic uh, covenants in the Bible. Um, Now, what is a theologian? Anybody want to take a shot at what they? You know, no wrong answers here. I'm probably going to give you an answer that could be somewhat challenged. Theology, like somebody who studies like the whole, um, theology or teachings. Mm-hmm. Someone who commentates on the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let me give you this. What scientists are to science, what college professors are to college students, theologians and seminaries, schools are as to religious teaching. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the tone that I'm, I'm getting here because they look, theologians, um, they tend to be, for one, in all these groups, they have a chosen paradigm, <clears throat> which is an already decided way somebody chooses to believe and then only accepts conclusions that fit their paradigm. Now, it's easy to see this with evolutionist thinking. No matter how wrong they might have been on something, they stay their course, and they find new ways to explain away or find new explanations to validate what they say. We can all fall into those traps, by the way. It's no different in the Christian realm. We've been looking at that movie, The Red Sea Crossing, And there's a group, a so-called Christian group, that have a paradigm that the crossing had to be naturalistic and explainable. But when challenged with the question, then it wasn't a miracle, they say that it was a miracle, but it was in the timing of it. So they can keep their paradigm, It, it had to be naturalistic. But they know it's a miracle because I have to admit a miracle, but they kind of say it a different way, The miracle, and, and they're really good at it. Uh, pe- there's people really good at explaining things away and in religion and all sorts of areas. <clears throat> so they de- continue to develop all sorts of, and they get to be pretty crazy <coughs> thoughts and explanations when they're up against something Oh, so you believe this, 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 this. So, how did this happen? And all of a sudden, this really awkward, strange, kind of stupid explanation comes out, you know. And these are supposedly scientists. But they say it with a straight face and with conviction, you know, and they you can convince people. It happens all the time. Their method is to continue, it kind of reminds me of lies. When you get caught in a lie, if you either Deal with the truth, or you find another lie to cover it up. And that's kind of how some of these things go. So you've got to be very careful. <clears throat> the smarter and more qualified they are, the more they group together and call themselves reliable mainstream scientists. They'll, they'll make this comment, you know, well, no reliable mainstream scientist would ever say this. Well... There are reliable scientists. They may be not mainstream, and just as qualified as they are, who do say different things. But they kind of they use their power in the grouping, um, and the stronger they scream, they drown out truth. That's how it works, and that's how they are effective at getting people to believe a lot. We see it all the time in our <coughs> world today. Mankind. <clears throat> Excuse me, outside of the indwelling spirit of God through belief in Jesus Christ and learning through prayer and God's word as individuals, if you're not doing that, you're susceptible to believing lies and then ascribing to them and even teaching them. So that's what I'm getting at with these theological covenants and more and more. There's been you, you can't throw, you know, in a sense, I'm a theologian, okay? You are too in, in, in your beliefs. Not all that are bad, but and there were some seminaries that were very good, but they're kind of leading to the education and thoughts of, of man. So, getting back to covenants, well, let me also mention this. This group of people have tendencies of pride and exaltation of their achievements and their expertise, uh, and that is to be relied upon. So, with the covenants, with theologians. Theologians have developed covenant theories based on a very singular purpose of God, and that being the outworking of God's plan of salvation. And there's a hey, there's going to be a lot of truth in here, so don't get lost, because you might say, well, that's probably pretty right, I think, you know. Just, you got to kind of hear the, the whole thing. In so doing, they developed three basic theological covenants. One is a covenant of works. Said to have been made with Adam. The provision of the covenant was that if Adam obeyed God... He would be secured in his spiritual state and would receive eternal life. Uh, They support this by the warning of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2.17. And it is inferred, and, and, and a lot of this has to do with inference, not direct conclusions. That if he did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would not die... And be confirmed in a holy state like that of the angels. That's kind of some of these theologians wrap their thing around, that. and it sounds you know and there's some like truth in that. Um, <clears throat> but it's almost entirely on inference, having little, little, based on the support of the scriptures. Because if you want to think about it. If you want to think about and center in on that tree, maybe you ought to center in on the other tree that was right there with it. And it appears that that tree was to make you forever in the state you are. If you kind of read the context and it was hidden, it was like if they sinned and they ate of that tree, they are stuck forever in that state. You see that tree, the tree of life back in uh, in the end where we're able to eat of that because we're redeemed and we will be sealed forever uh, in a sinless state that I can't explain. Um, <clears throat> but that's, that's God's, God's plan. So it kind of is like, uh, it sounds good and there's some truth in it, but mm. another covenant that is suggested is the covenant of redemption. It said that this was a covenant between God the Son and God the Father that the Son covenanted with God the Father in eternity past that he would pay the price of salvation for all those that would believe and that God promised to accept his sacrifice as payment for our sin. Now this covenant has quite a bit of support of scripture because the Bible clearly declares that God's plan of salvation is eternal and that Christ would pay for man's redemption and God must accept this payment, the propitiation, as payment for the sin of mankind. Ephesians 1.4, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And Ephesians 1.11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Now, there's some sense in that. There's some belief in that. We know that everything was, even before we were born, things were taken care of. God knows all things. But there's another covenant that these theologians uh, adhere to, and that's the covenant of grace. Now, in this point of view, Christ is regarded as the mediator of the covenant and as the representatives of those who put their trust in him. Individuals meet the conditions of this covenant when they place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Oh, that's good. This covenant is similar to the redemption covenant as it is inference from the eternal plan of salvation, but with high regards to the gracious character of God. So, the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace, accordingly, they have some scriptural basis. And is more acceptable to Bible students than the concept of the covenant of works, which has little to, to no scriptural support. Now, there is a lot of truth, as I said, to be derived from these theories of these theological covenants. However, supporters of these covenants are based on, first of all, indirect evidence or inference to a principle with some support of scripture. They also overly center on a singular focus on the plan of God. In other words, this is what God's all about. 99.9% of salvation for salvation of man at the cost, but it's at the cost of ignoring particular purposes of God such as the plan for Israel. The plan Of God for the church, the plan of God for a nation. So it's the plan of salvation is a very important aspect of God's eternal purpose, but it's not the total of God's plan. And if you think about it, when you think about God's purpose and trying to say what God's trying to do, if you pretty much center it all around salvation, you pretty much start to center it on man. A better view is that God's plan for history is to reveal His glory. That's a different thing. Not only by saving man, but also revealing Himself through the dealings with Israel, the church, and the nations. It's preferable to look beyond the inferred general covenant theologies to the what we will call the direct spiritual biblical covenants, which reveal the essential purposes of God throughout human history to include God's plan of salvation. Now, just for word's sake, I I don't want you to get lost on these words, but you kind of need to know them. Um, Because you may hear them. These people who believe in those three theological covenants are are called uh, covenant theologians. Okay. But there's another group. And this is a group I fall into, and not just me, but a lot of people, as God has revealed through the years that there's really eight direct uh, Bible covenants that you can see throughout history. And the thing with it is is they fall into areas and have reasons for them through time and through history. So that group of people are called dispensationalists. Okay? And and it has to because they kind of line up and they work with the dispensations of time. And so hopefully you'll be, begin to see some of this. This is you know, if you're this is pretty general a lot man-focused. This is the glory of God-focused and deals. You're going to have to deal with this if you read your Bible. I mean, God controls nature. And He has something over that. He has nations. Hey, we have a nation we're under. We need to, it needs to be important. There's. You're going to read how God deals with Israel. And what's going to happen. All these things... Uh, You aren't revealed in this theory. This is very simplified. You get away with a lot of stuff and doctrine there, and it doesn't answer these questions. All right. So there's eight of them. Okay, we'll, hopefully we'll get through them. My purpose is not to get too much in detail, but to lay out the whole thing for us today. Okay, so you have eight. Now, there's two types of covenants. Conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. Okay, so... You can probably figure this out, but it is a little tricky. Conditional covenants is God will do what He says He will do. Conditional on the performance of who the covenant is addressed to. Okay, Unconditional covenants, while there can be some uh, human contingencies, it's a certain declaration of the certain purposes of God and the fulfilling of God's purpose that will be filled by God in His time and in His way. However, in an unconditional covenant, there is conditional elements as it applies to certain individuals. And this will make sense maybe a little more uh, as we take and do some examples. An unconditional covenant is distinguished from a conditional covenant by the fact that its ultimate fulfillment is promised by God and depends upon God's sovereignty and power. It will be done. God with us. <laughs> There's lots of conditional things. For instance, suppose you tell one of your children if they cut the grass, I'll give you a dollar. The dollar received is contingent on the person cutting the grass and the parent's ability to follow through and come up with the dollar. That is a conditional covenant, although I should probably put that, that's more like $20 today. <laughs> now let's say dad says something like this, that this year we're going to build a tree house. We're, we're going to do this, we're going to covenant together with this family and we're going to build a treehouse. Dad gets up one morning, gets his tools and begins building a tree house. Some went with dad, they got up early, while others slept in and missed building it. You see that the building of the treehouse was not contingent, really, on anyone but dad's faithfulness to build it, as he said he would in his way and in his time. But there were some contingencies on the other family members, whether they would be a part of it or not. And if you think about it in Israel, you think about like Abraham. There's a promise that was fulfilled in Abraham. But did he see it? A lot of it he didn't see. It wasn't even in his lifetime, but that promise was true through him. So you see it's God's promise, and he was going to fulfill it. It was unconditional, yet Abraham was, wasn't really in the biggest part in the revelation of that. So there's contingencies. So the first covenant. Let's describe, where do you think that comes from? Garden of, Garden of Eden. Genesis 126, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, For meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good in the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now in Genesis two sixteen, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. This was a conditional covenant. Because they ate of the tree and they died. And we live with that continued from that time till today. We still are under that. Now the next covenant. Where do you think that came from? Adam. Adam. <laughs> Under the woman, he said, "I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception." And this is the introduction, actually, of uh, the Edenic was was in. Um, Innocence, okay? This covenant it was the introduction of conscience to mankind. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat it eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. In this covenant, there is no appeal or any human responsibility involved. It's, it's unconditional. It is really the operation of life that still continues on today. Then we get to an interesting time. Yeah, this one's kind of... Noah, Noach, Noach. <laughs> the Noah Covenant. This introduces into mankind, and you see in the progressions, okay, human government, Genesis 9, 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That was, that's continued. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth. And upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hands, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it, and at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. That's kind of interesting. This is in Noah. It kind of makes sense when you go back to this other progression. You didn't see that direct life for life happening. It starts to explain some things because you know you're gonna have to look in the Bible and say, well, you know, why didn't God have uh, Cain killed? There's a lot of questions to be answered, and, and you can't. You can't be too shallow <laughs> if you really want to understand the Bible and really want to understand God. I and mean, God desires for us to seek him and to search him out. I'm gonna skip reading through some of this. So we see here the introduction of human government to curb sin and surely the blood of your lies will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it at the hand of man And at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man we also see in here that the normal order of nature is reaffirmed it continues some things don't change but a long time other things do change and it's you're going to find it's very similar to our our world and how we think it's very just a pattern of God. Man was permitted, oh, on the order of nature reaffirm, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. That continues on. We don't have to worry about this, <laughs> these things that the world's concerned about. Man was permitted to eat the flesh of animals. Instead of only living on vegetables. And I should be getting some amens around that right there. Uh, At least this guy here. I'll eat some peas and stuff. I'm getting better at it, ain't I? But uh, but yeah, that was the meat for the people. But now they're able to eat flesh. That is new and that is different. The covenant introduced... It's interesting. You begin to see a shadowing here of the bloodline of the Messiah and the dominance of the Gentile nations. Now, these are inferences, okay? It's not directly said. But it said, and, and he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servants. God shall enlarge Japheth. We see it today. And he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So we're going to move from the Noahic covenant to Abrahamic covenant. This is contains great revelations. Of the future. I mean these are really special <laughs> that that we know. That's why we sing Father Abraham, his many sons, you know, his kids. Hey, there's a lot of meaning. It has to do with this covenant. Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Wow, that's talking about our day. Genesis 13, 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land... Which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I'll make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it, and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Now, will it be given unto him? In his name. But we're reading about the children of Israel. They haven't Gone in and possess that land yet, but they will. Genesis fifty one. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, "Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward." And Abram said, "Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless?" And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, "To me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir." And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, "This shall not be thine heir." But he that come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And there's some other scriptures, but what we see here in this covenant that Abraham would have numerous posterity. Out of Abraham, a great nation would emerge, and I'm particularly talking about Israel, would come out of his loins, Jacob, in which we've seen uh, that happen. And out of Abraham, blessings would come to the entire world through Jesus Christ one day. So. Now we get to the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant. Now, this is a conditional covenant. There's only two conditional covenants. This is the second one. That obedience would bring blessing, and that disobedience brings cursing and discipline, and God defines through the law um, that how that works. And we, we still live in that today in one sense. It's through Exodus 20, verse 1 through, through Exodus thirty one eighteen, we see the, the, the aspects of this covenant. But it was really a temporary covenant. Ending at the cross of Christ. Though there were aspects of graciousness in the, in the law, uh, it was basically a covenant of works. And in some sense, we know that if we do right, the odds are, you know, better things are going to happen. God's going to look, God's going to help in, in those things. But it was really a, a covenant between him and his people of works now just think about this you have the Jews you're going to find much as we go as we've been going through Exodus about the Sabbath and that day of rest it's really interesting we know a lot more about that the Jews you hear them claim a lot and they would talk to Jesus about the law and what should be done one of the laws was, you defile the Sabbath, you die. How many Jews today defile the Sabbath in, in its strict way, but yet they don't kill them? It's dead. <laughs> that, that covenant is, is dead. It's no, no longer working at that extent. Let's look at another... Palestinian covenant. This is an unconditional covenant of the final possession of the land. Now remember, in the previous mosaic, God said, if you follow me, I'll be with you. I'll fight your enemies. But what you've seen was they went away from God, lost their land, and, you know, there was cursings upon them. But then they would come back to God in a condition. You see, see that all through Judges. And God would stand for them and so forth. You see them returning into the land after the captivity. They get Jerusalem back in, in some portions of the land, and that goes back and forth. But there is an unconditional Palestinian covenant that God says... Ultimately, no matter what, the Jews are going to be restored and go back to their land. That will be in the end time. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. It's a great example of God's people because of personal disobedience, and they lose their place as we talked about, but to see them returning to the land, but then regaining it. It's especially relevant when Israel became a country. That was a stepping stone to the end that God is going to restore them into the land, and that will be under the reign and rule of Christ in the millennial kingdom. And that's going to be a special time. Now, there's also Davidic covenant. Second Samuel 7.4 And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in, wherein, whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye why build ye not me an house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. And when I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth, moreover I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them. And they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee what he will, that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, Which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established. Forever before thee thy throne shall be established forever. And then first Chronicles seventeen three says, And it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go tell David my servant, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not build me an house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent, and from one tabernacle to another. Where soever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word. To any of the judges of Israel, whom I commandest to feed my people, saying, Why have ye not built me in house of cedars? Now therefore, thus shall stay unto thy, my servant David. Thus saith the Lord of hosts: I took thee from the sheepcote even from the following, the sheep that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel, and I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked, and cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Also I will ordain a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place, and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more as at the beginning. And since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee an house and it shall come to pass when the days expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me an house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him that was before thee. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever. And the throne shall be established forevermore. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. There is going to be a king on the throne. And God saw that through. It was a Davidic covenant. And then there's going to be the last one. One we kind of know about, but quite honestly... We're just like those in the past who haven't lived through it. We're kind of looking through a glass darkly, and that's the new millennium covenant. I think I have spelled that wrong, probably. Millennial. Let's do it that way. New millennial covenant. Jeremiah. 31 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember them, their sin no more. And you can see in the New Testament there's some references in Romans 11, I think it is, uh, talking about this time and the grafting in. But the Lord says, those branches were broken off because of unbelief. He said, and you were grafted in. He said, but how much more am I able to re-graft them all back in? And one day in the end, in the millennial kingdom, Israel will be exalted. They'll be all grafted back, in. they will all know that Jesus is Lord at that time. That's, That's that covenant. So, just, so we have theologians, we have the great smart ones, okay, the all-knowing, who have their seminaries and things. Like I said, they're not all bad, and there there might be some seminaries worth sending a child to at some point to really learn some good things, but you will find some things that there'll be humility there, okay. Um, But they kind of have these three basic covenants that Really aren't inferred, but, and they're called uh, covenant theologians. But then the dispensationalist looks at the actual covenants that you see directly in the Word of God that explains just not man's salvation, but how God's dealing. And it tends us not to look so much on God's whole purpose of saving mankind, which is true but there's something more true than that it really exalts what well, god's god's glory to see his glory in all that he's doing and there's just many things uh that are that are happening there so all right we'll end there uh father we thank thankful lord to just look at these covenants your promises to mankind some unconditional some conditional uh we see the future In it, Lord God, it will be an amazing thing. It's hard. We just can't conceive it from from our hearts and minds at this point. But we have seen so many of your promises fulfilled that others couldn't see in their times. We see progressions. We see things that continue to last through the covenants all the way through time. But we see things where things dropped off or things are added. And um, it helps us to know you better. For the ultimate purpose of seeing your glory and giving you the honor and glory for all things said and done in this earth of yours. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.